Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 24's podcast, the best video gaming and sports podcast on the entire internet. Gonna have a great podcast, great final podcast, essentially, of one of the final ones of the week. We got uh, Wednesday. I usually take off Thursdays, usually Thursday uh, night football. It's Thanksgiving. Gonna take it off. Friday is when I will be back. Friday is when I will be back to give you my weekend game day prediction. But let's and, and also to talk about whether or not I got a PS5 or not. But ladies and gentlemen, we got a really, really good one today. We're going to break down some Carson Wentz tape with the help of Dan Orlovsky of ESPN. Going to talk about uh, some a lot of my misses. I missed a lot. I have a losing winning percent, uh, percentage excuse me, um, in week 12 or week 11, which was last week. But I'm, my winning percentage is very, very high still when it comes to picking games, if you don't know what I'm talking about. And um, we're going to also talk about college football as we usually do, kind of wrap up the weekend in a pretty bow. Great podcast coming up for you right here on 24's Podcast. That is the Guardians of the Galaxy, Awesome Mix Volume 1, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Martin Gay, Marvin Gay, excuse me, and somebody else. I don't know, everybody knows that song. That song was played on Remember the Titans. <clears throat> Anyways, where should I begin the podcast with? Oh my God, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Kind of just gonna riff off here as I normally do. Some people like like whenever some people ask me twenty four like how much of the podcast do you plan out? Sometimes I plan monologues. Sometimes I plan out specific speeches. Um, a lot of it is extemporaneous kind of stuff like what happened last uh, last night where I was talking about some pretty heavy stuff. But um, in this particular case, I'm kind of just like looking around, making sure I don't need to cover anything of note I'm kind of just like just doing something I'm pretty sure what I'm looking for isn't really there or isn't there at all hold on thing nobody I don't think they did anything today cool 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 all right. So, kind of last year, I made the mistake of kind of over-evaluating my own abilities, overestimating my myself, right? And um, to kind of humble myself, I kind of just like was like, you know what? I'm going to watch a lot more football. I'm going to watch college football. I'm going to watch uh, more NFL football. I'm not going to skip out on essentially anything. I'm going to watch college. I'm going to watch the pro scenes. I'm going to watch everything. All right. That's what I'm going to do. Because last year, especially, I was a statistical guy. I was always just reading statistics. I kind of didn't have the context of the football games. It's not like watching football games. Listen, man, a lot of people, they want to, like, they want to get on shows. They want to get on radio shows. They want to go on national television. They want to write columns. And they want to sound smart. 
I don't mind really sounding dumb. As long and as long as I become educated in the process, right? Like you know, I don't mind like initially being wrong as long as inevitably I get it right. You know, sometimes it takes you know, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes multiple like attempts, but for the most part, I get things right. Sometimes I'm not initially right. So this year. I decided to diversify how I kind of break down players and things of that nature, add in a lot of um, of uh, of tape watching of game film and things of that nature. Even in my college, like I was watching, I'm watching Alabama versus um, uh, Kentucky again. And um, it kind of reminded me because I was watching specific players, specifically one Patrick Sertain. And I was like, oh, yeah, he got thrown to like, I think, four or five times, maybe I think he may have gotten thrown four times in the first half. Patrick Sertain, the corner out of Alabama. I think he got thrown to four times in the first half. I think he may have had like one or two completions. I think it was one completion. And then he had like one batted ball. Like he had a fantastic first half. They 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 got nothing off of him. They may have gotten like one play. And that was it. And then I think in the second half, he only got thrown to like once. And I mean, it was... That was done. He did not get picked on at all. But I was watching, um, not watching, but I kind of went back and I kind of was looking at one of the uh, the guys that I talked about last week, Baker Mayfield. I was watching his statistics. I was, I'm looking at his statistics now, as a matter of fact. His statistics are terrible. And a lot of people, they don't want to be like, they, they don't want to, they don't want to say like, well, you know, if a guy's statistics are bad or whatever, like, like it's not that big of a deal, you know, watch his tape, watch his tape, right? And I kind of got okie doked, right? Because all of the, the best Baker Mayfield games I saw were the bank when he played up against the Bengals uh, twice, by the way, and when he played up against the Cowboys. So I kind of got okie doked and I hadn't looked at his statistics really in months. And then I glanced at them and I was like, oh, oh, because I saw highlights like I I sometimes don't need the full context of a game to understand like how a player played. You know, I'm not smart, but I feel like, you know, if you played bad, if it's glaringly bad, then I can be like, oh, yeah, you play bad, especially when it's like I know how you normally play, you know. And I saw Baker Mayfield against Carson Wentz, the highlights for it, and I was like, that's not good. Like, really, I couldn't really differentiate. Like, I saw a lot more highlights not made by the quarterbacks, and usually, like, if you have a good quarterback on on one of these highlights, like, usually they have a couple of plays, and I was like, Baker Mayfield isn't really doing a lot here. Same thing goes with Carson Wentz. It was like they were both indistinguishable. As a matter of fact, let me pull up Carson Wentz's numbers. During that game. Or his numbers. His numbers. Oh, they were, they were like, oh, no, they were worse. Yeah, they were not marginally. They were completely worse than Baker. And I kind of got bit on the okie doke. I was like, I watched all of Baker's best games and I didn't watch his worst games. And I didn't look at his statistics. And on Friday, I said that. I kind of 
it was hard for me to articulate how I felt about Baker because I was like, in some ways I felt confident about him in other ways. And in fact, in a lot of ways, I didn't really feel that confident in him. And I kind of talked about how there are like these quarterbacks that I trusted and two guys that I kind of didn't trust. Ironically enough, Baker Mayfield and Matt Ryan who played awfully against the saints on Sunday. Two guys that, I mean, technically, I was right about them. I, I shouldn't have, I, I picked the Browns to pick uh, to beat the Eagles, but I definitely should not have picked this, uh, the Falcons to beat the Saints. Now I know. I said that Baker Mayfield, I felt like, was a guy that I could trust, a guy that I, I felt like he was a franchise quarterback. I'm not so sure anymore about that. I'm really not sure. You know, I want, who, who does he, who's he going to play up against this week? Browns are going to go up against the Jags. So, that I mean, he should destroy in that game. And then they're going to go up against the Titans in a couple of weeks. Like, like the Browns, he's not going to have a hard test until, like, two weeks later, man. And do I trust Baker to get the job done? I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Like, Baker is just... He's, he's below average. His play is below average. And I kind of like, I was on this train. I was kind of, not on this train, but I was like on the Baker Mayfield train. I, I believed in him and things of that nature. But then I was like, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I kind of had this thought in the back of my mind. I was like, you know what? What kind of doesn't make sense to me? Why he doesn't have rapport with Odell Beckham Jr. And more importantly than that, why is his accuracy not transitioning over to the NFL, right? He was one of the most accurate throwers in college football. Let me look up his college st- statistics. Right. It's kind of a two-fold problem that I have with him. Like his accuracy and his rapport with Odell. I'm typing this with one hand because I'm holding my microphone with the other. <clears throat> We're getting a microphone stand very, very soon, I might add. What's his completion percentage? That's it? He has like a 70, his highest completion percentage in his senior year was 70. Like Joe Burrow had, what was Joe Burrow's numbers? Oh my god, I think I think Baker Mayfield is overrated. Hold on. Hold on. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look up a couple of different guys. This is kind of what I was talking about where I was like, oh, like, like riffing, like sometimes just shit happens, right? Hold on. I found one guy that had a higher completion percentage than him in his final year. Let me try and 
see if this guy has uh, has a higher completion percentage than Baker. I know Kyler definitely didn't. Let me, like, hold on. Is his, it's two years. Okay. And his completion percentage just, like, was extremely high and extremely consistent for his entire college career. Okay, this guy was nowhere close. Let me, let me go up and let me look at the new guys, right? <clears throat> I'm pretty sure this guy isn't going to test well. Oh, no, he's fine. He's fine. I'll use him. Let me look up. And by the way, these I'm looking up previous college players, and I'm also going to look at current college players as well. Right? So people that played in college and people that are playing in college. Let me look up this guy. You may be asking me, 24, are you looking up Trevor Lawrence? Yes, I am. Just type in his numbers. Okay. Let me kind of just look at this really, really quickly. All right. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me look up another guy. That is playing awesome. Let me kind of just give you a little bit of a of a picture that I'm trying to draw for you. So, <clears throat> the quarterbacks that I'm looking up right now are, because the quarterbacks that I kind of had in mind are Spencer Rattler, Joe Burrow, when he was in college, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones. I'm looking up Kyle Trask and Nick Wilson or Nate Wilson, whatever, the, the quarterback out of BYU. Nick Wilson? Nate Wilson. I always get his name wrong. Looking up Nate Wilson now, and I'm also going to look up... God damn it, let me type with two hands. Who's the quarterback? It's not Nate Wilson. Who's the quarter... I'm, I'm just going to type in quarterback BYU. Who's the quarterback for the for BYU? Because I have no idea who this guy... Zach Wilson. God damn it. I always get his name wrong. I need to com commit his name to memory because uh, he's going to be a first-round draft pick. It's like it's stupid. I know literally every every quarterback um, in next year's draft besides this guy. So... Zach Wilson, I need to look up Kyle Trask. And let me also bring in Justin Fields into this equation. All right? Let's get a lot of context here. I'm a context guy. You know, we didn't really look at a lot of stats. We didn't really look at a lot of statistics. Let me kind of bring in some guys to kind of paint a picture for you. Bring in some guys. Trask. Justin Fields. That's the only other guy that I got to bring in. 
Now, quick context. Right? Baker probably was a probably has some of the best statistics when it comes to his completion, but when it comes to just college, right? We're talking he had a 70% completion percentage, 4,600 yards, 43 touchdowns, six interceptions, a 198.9 passer rating. Like, I mean, those are not like above average statistics. Those are like significantly above average statistics, right? Significantly so. But I just kind of want to look at his completion percentage, right? Because a lot of people, they kind of talked about, well, and they, they talk about how he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in in, in, in college football. And in the right, in the right. Like he's he's thrown 280, he's 285 on 404 attempts. Like that's pretty damn good if you don't know statistics. But let's kind of just like look at other quarterbacks. So I, I type, I kind of, preluded some of the guys that I got. I got Joe Burrow. I got Trevor Lawrence. I got Justin Fields. I got Kyle Trask. And I got uh, Nate Wilson. Okay. Remember, Baker Mayfield is at a 70.5% completion percentage in his final year. And in te- technically speaking, he had a great junior year as well. 70.9% completion percentage, 3,900 yards, 40 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Fantastic junior year. One hundred ninety-six point four passer rating. Let me press on a random quarterback. Even I don't know. Who, okay, I know who this is now. This guy, 135 completions on 191 attempts. completion percentage this year has only played in six games. Who is this? 17 touchdowns, two interceptions, 178.6 passer rating. Who is this guy? Six games in college football. Has he been hurt? You tell me. This guy with similar numbers to Baker Mayfield was and is Trevor Lawrence. Okay. So something that... Baker Mayfield did twice. Trevor Lawrence has essentially done once this year, his junior year, and he's making it look incredibly, incredibly easy. His Baker, actually, Baker's statistics are through the roof when it comes to yards per attempt, plus his yards, plus his completion percentages, completion percentage, excuse me, and his actual completions as well, through the roof. But similar statistics, right? 178.6 178.6 passer rating. I think Trevor Lawrence hasn't played in like almost a month, by the way, too. Next guy up, 68.1% completion percentage, 178.2 passer rating, 10 yards per attempt, 22 touchdowns, six interceptions. Mm, that's kind of, it's kind of similar to Baker's. Who is this guy? The guy that the guy that I mentioned is Spencer Rattler, that guy, the guy that I'm super high on. Red shirt freshman, out of Oklahoma University. Who's this guy? This guy, absolutely balling. 
more pass attempts, more yards per attempt, higher uh, higher completion percentage at 76.3. Remember, Baker's final year in college was 70.5. Passer rating was 202. I think he had more yards per attempt as well. Yes, he had. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. His his adjusted yards per attempt were higher. Wait, wait, were they? No, they weren't. Never mind. He didn't have a higher yards per attempt. But he had a higher completion percentage, more yards. He had more touchdowns, less interceptions. Actually, he had he had 60 touchdowns, six interceptions, and his passer rating was 202.0. It's, it's pretty close to like a perfect passer rating in college. Who is this guy? Statistics are through the roof. Who is he? It's Joe Burrow. I'm Who else do I got for you today? Mac Jones. Shit. Sorry. Uh, Mac Jones' statistics, I would take over Mayfield's in the sense of his completion percentage is literally through the roof at 77.1, uh, 12.1 yards per attempt. It's similar to Baker uh, to Baker's. 18 touchdowns, three interceptions, uh, 205 pass rating. He he literally has a better pass rating than Joe Burrow and and um, and and uh, Baker Mayfield. Excuse me. Same thing goes with Kyle, uh, not Kyle Trask, Zach Wilson. Uh, his yards per attempt aren't as high as Baker Mayfield's, but his completion percentage is higher. Uh, his touchdown to interception ratio is 26 to 2, which is higher than Baker's, and his passer rating is 205.3. Kyle Trask, I mean, it's pretty much the exact same thing 70% over 30 touchdowns, 31 touchdowns, three interceptions, 197.1 passer rating, better than, May, uh, than Mayfield's, by the way. And then you got Justin Fields. Doesn't have the statistics overall because, like, he's only played in four games. But um, in this year, of course. Uh, how many yards? 1,200 yards in four games, 13 touchdowns, three interceptions, 202.1 passer rating, and a 79% completion percentage. Most of the quarterbacks that I just named to you, um, they have better college statistics than Baker Mayfield. And then on top of that, like guys like Joe Burrow, for example, are playing significantly better than Baker Mayfield. And Trevor Lawrence is like he doesn't have the college career of a Baker right now. Like he's never thrown for 40 touchdowns ever in a season. But Trevor, when he gets to the league, I think is going to be a better professional than Baker. And the reason why I showed you and talked about like Spencer Rattler and Mac Jones and Kyle Trask and Zach Wilson and Justin Fields is because those guys are essentially doing what Baker Mayfield did two years ago. Almost three, really. I essentially dominated uh, college football. Mac Jones is doing it in the SEC. Justin Fields is doing it in the Big Ten. Kyle Trask is doing it in the SEC. Zach Wilson is doing it in what I think the Independent Con uh, Conference. 
And Spencer Rattler is doing it in the Big 12, which really doesn't count that much because Big 12 defenses aren't very good. So the degree of difficulty for some of these quarterbacks that are in college right now is higher than what Baker Mayfield had when he played at Oklahoma University. And in a lot of cases, they're doing it at a higher level than Baker. At some point, Baker Mayfield on his team had, on his collegiate team, had Mark Andrews, uh, uh, Sterling Shepard, Hollywood Brown, and CeeDee Lamb. Think about that. Think about that. Hollywood, CD, Sterling Shepard, Mark Andrews. Hmm. Which kind of brings me to my first original point about Baker. I never understood why he didn't have a connection with Odell, you know? And I kind of talked about it earlier this season. I was like, why is Baker not, like, throwing to Odell? Why is Odell going and throwing and catching passes to with Cam? I don't mind it when players work out together. It's actually kind of a good thing. But what I don't understand is when it's like you're not like it's it's like the middle of the offseason and you're not training with your quarterback. Like that blows my mind. It's like, why are you not with your quarterback? Why is your quarterback throwing like Sam Darnold, for example, um, was seen in like a video where he was throwing like touchdown passes to Saquon Barkley. And I was like, why? In like May or June. Why? Doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, it's ironic. It's like all the quarterbacks that I talked about, like Russell Wilson, um, Dak Prescott, Tom Brady, like all the quarterbacks that I was like, I think they're going to have great seasons, like because they're throwing to their guys. And even Lamar, like Lamar, he was throwing to Hollywood, but they're not really using Hollywood the way that you would want to use Hollywood. I was like, all those guys that I mentioned, like they they were or are balling because Dak got hurt. Brady had a bad game. I'll kind of get into later on. But all those guys, right? The veteran guys. Mahomes was working out with his guys, and Kyler was trying to get with his guys. He was a little bit late to the party. He was going to spend like $50,000. Oh, no, not fifty, like twelve grand, on like hotel services, I think a practice facility, and, um, and uh, like food and stuff like that. Like during the pandemic, they were like, like, like let me fly you guys out. Oh, yeah, and flights. He was like, let me fly you guys out and I'll pay, pay for like food. Just come, come to where I live and I'll set you up and we'll throw the football around and we're going to have a great time, right? He's a rookie, by the way. He's like, let me help you guys out, right? So when I look at, Baker Mayfield as a football player, as it pertains to, you know, both college and in the NFL, it's it's a little bit of an overrated, maybe not overrated because what he did back then wasn't, but I, I like, I can't go off of what I thought of him as a college player anymore, is what I'm trying to say. And that's my fault because I kind of uh, just rose-colored tinted rose colored eye like I looked at him subjectively and not objectively and that's my fault and I apologize for that because I got it wrong it's my fault there's literally dudes that are doing exactly what he's doing in college right now and higher degrees of difficulty literally during a pandemic as well and then there's rookies that are outplaying Baker and I I don't 
I don't understand how, like, maybe maybe it's me. And, and again, he was a kid. You know, Baker in college was a kid. But he had C.D. Lamb in, a, in Hollywood and, and, and Mark Andrews and a lot of great players early on in his Oklahoma career. And I was like, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why he couldn't win. And I, I don't get why he's, why he's underdeveloped now. Where when I watch the Browns play, when I watch Cleveland, I think Cleveland's a playoff team. But when I watch Cleveland play, they disguise, maybe not disguise, they hide Baker. They don't put him out and, and like put him at risk. They hide his ass. They don't say, hey, Baker, throw like, 30, 40 yard strikes downfield. They don't do that. They just say, Baker, hide behind the running game. Hide behind our quick passes. Hide behind our easy passes, right? Wasn't really a, a lot of hard throws that I had to see Baker Mayfield throw. And, you know, hopefully Joe Burrow has a speedy, speedy recovery. I want him. I love, I love Joe Burrow. I've come to love him as a football player, especially this season. And I kind of said to myself, I was like, man, I'm way too hard on. Like after um after like the call uh, like during his college career I was like man like I was way too hard on him you know and I kind of like stopped overly criticizing him by saying like oh man Joe Burrow he doesn't have the strongest arms and things like that it's like get it out get it out it's ridiculous I was like you know enjoy him as a football player because he's a great guy he's a great football player. I started to watch Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's one of my guys. Like Joe Burrow a lot. But when you watch the Bengals play versus the Browns, when you see just like how little he has to help him, Joe Burrow, and how much he was getting done, it's like you can only imagine if there's like an actual football team around him that can actually help him play the sport. It's like, oh my God, like, Imagine just how much better he would be as a football player. Imagine if the Bengals got Jamar Chase. Let me pull up a mock draft for you here. The um the thing that the Bengals need to do this offseason is get him a wide receiver. Get him another one. There's going to be like two. There's going to be a couple. There's going to be a couple wide receivers in this draft. Right, And to be honest with you, I don't know if the Bengals, not the Bengals, the Browns, kind of switching back to the Browns before I get on to the Bengals. I don't know if the Bengals are going to, not the Bengals, the Browns, excuse me, the Browns. Browns, Browns, Browns. I don't know if the Browns are going to keep Odell Beckham Jr. He's hurt again. And he's kind of like a couple of years off of of like when he was Odell, essentially. But man, oh man. Like, I, I don't know what the Browns do here. I really, really don't. I don't know how they, like, like, do you draft another quarterback at the end of this? Like, like where are you? Where are they? Where are the, the Browns here? Do you draft a quarterback here if you're the Browns, like, in, in the first round? Because there's going to be, like, like literally there's going to be a, a, a bigger version of Baker Mayfield in one of these, like, in the, in the draft, essentially, right? Like, there's going to be a guy. 
They're at number 23. I'm just going to, like, wait for the mock draft to kind of run through the simulation. I'm running a simulation right now. I'm just going to wait for them to, like, give me somebody. So, at 23, and this is kind of wrong, but they mocked it like this. They mocked, um, oh, yeah, there's, there's some things wrong here, but there's some, like, good stuff that's gone on here. Zach Wilson goes number nine overall. Fields goes to Washington. Jalen Waddle goes to the Patriots. That's kind of interesting. Devontae Smith goes 17th overall to the Dolphins. That's incorrect, in my opinion. Where are the quarterbacks? Who got drafted in this mock draft? Oh, wait. Let me show you. Let me go all quarterbacks. Four quarterbacks were taken. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Like, Mac Jones right now is rated as a second-round draft pick as, as well as Kyle Trask. They're both first-rounders. Like, I, I think there's, like, two. Not two. There's, like, yeah, there's six quarterbacks that can be tra- taken in the first round, in my opinion. And I think, like, Mac Jones, I think, like, they have Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, and Kyle Trask in front of Mac Jones. I think that's incorrect. And it's like, if you're the Browns, right? If you like, if Kevin Stefanski is, like, it kind of just depends on what you're doing offensively. But if you're Kevin Stefanski, and if you're all about, like, if you're about pocket presence and having a pocket quarterback, I think Mac Jones is your guy. I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on Mac Jones. A lot of people. I mean, the simplicity of the fact that, like, a couple of weeks ago, I shit you not, he was, like, a fifth-round quarterback or a third-rounder. No, he was a fifth-rounder or fourth-rounder. They had him, like, at 150-something. That's No, that's a fifth-rounder. Point is, Baker, I think, is overrated. Um, I'm out on him. I'm officially out. He's actually got a string. He's got to do something, man. Like, he, he should have destroyed the Eagles. He should have destroyed the Eagles. The Eagles are a very, very bad football team. Defensively, offensively, especially they, ma- they match up well, the Browns do, against the Eagles, and they just, they just lost, bro. And I think here's the thing. It's cold, it's windy, it's rainy in Cleveland. If you're Cleveland, you need somebody to throw in that, like, environment. And you need somebody to make smart decisions. I literally, like, Mac Jones is literally that. Like, Mac Jones is a dude that can make smart decisions, get the ball out, in and out. I'm watching Baker right now. I'm watching the highlights right now. But handoff. Like, he had one good throw on the drive that I'm watching, and then Nick Chubb, and then an empty set. Quick pass. That's a good throw. Over the middle. Play action. Rolls to his left. Throwing downfield. This should be caught. Oh, that's a beautiful ball, too. To number 82. And then he hands off to Chubb. I think, not Chubb, uh, Kareem Hunt. I think that's like, this is one of his best series of the game, the first one. After the, um, or it was either the second one. <clears throat> Here we go. Perfect. Perfect what I'm talking about. Um, this is like the series after I think Miles Sanders fumbles and 
the Cleveland Browns, they go all the way down the field. He has the tight end Hooper for a touchdown, and he just, like, way too much on it. Puts way too much on it, and it's a touchdown. He literally just has to throw it, lob it almost to the back pylon, and it's a touchdown. They still get it. They go for it on fourth down, and they, you know, they get the touchdown. Oh, no, they don't. This is when Kareem Hunt's, uh, I think he slips, and he, and his arm gets, like, literally right at the goal line, and he's down before he gets to the end zone, and Kareem Hunt is like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, that's what happens. What happens on this play? Oh, this is the pick six. I was like, wait, did Baker and company score a touchdown? It's like, nope, he did not. I think the final score for this game was like 22 to 9 or something like that. I'm not sure. I don't know. Like, there's so much of Baker that I like, and there's so much that I don't like, too. He just doesn't, like... He just doesn't impress me as a quarterback. Like, I... Like, it, like his team has to carry... Like, they got... Like, I, I remember some... I was watching a um a Philadelphia Eagles like like it was a show where they were talking about how you know if if Carson Wentz hadn't have given up like nine points I think nine points to the um to the Browns it would have been thirteen to seventeen right and they would have won the game like they're playing a, a whole bunch of what ifs here against the Browns and it's like there's some truth to it there's some truth to Carson Wentz essentially giving the game up to the Eagles. But in a lot of ways, it's like, you know, not in a lot of ways, but in, in, in like in that same way, Baker Mayfield didn't really win the game. Carson Wentz kind of just sucked. So it's like, I mean, I don't know. The, the Bengals, not the Bengals, the Browns right now are 7-3. and three. They're a good football team. They got a lot. Like, they, they beat the crap out of the Eagles up front, man. But just Baker, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just throw it, Baker. Throw it. The pressure comes. He, like, I think it's Brandon Graham who, man, nah, there was a nobody open. And by the time, like, he realized it, no, nah, that wasn't his fault. That was just great defense. He fumbled the ball, and it was on play action, and, by the time he realizes, like, nobody's open, he just, like, he just fumbles it. But I haven't seen all of his throws. He's, like, 7 for 5 for 115 yards right now. Or 7 for 15 for 115 yards. It's a lot of yak. A lot of, like, these deep balls. A lot of inconsistency. And Carson Wentz throws a touchdown pass. I don't know. Those two guys are just, they're just fucking question marks, bro. Anyways, let me kind of address... Oh, by the way, I haven't even read you Baker Mayfield's statistics. It's like I go on this rant of um, of statistics and things of that nature without actually telling you Baker Mayfield's statistics. We're going to do a mock draft here as well. I'm going to be picking some teams. I kind of want you to see what I'm thinking of when... It comes to certain football teams. Let me get this team as well. And then, is that it? Is that who I want? 
Isn't that everything? Mm, I think that's everyone. Okay. Let me play you this clip from Dan Orlovsky. And um, I'm going to have to... I'm going to let it run all the way through. No, I'm not. I'm going to pause it when um, when I... When I like when he essentially finishes his thought, but um, essentially I was watching. I was kind of like I don't know what I was watching, but I was watching like something, and I was like, no, I, I like I fell asleep and then I woke up, and I woke up to turn on my television on ESPN because I was watching the um, the AP rated top twenty five college football teams, and kind of like once I got it, I was like, okay, I don't really care anymore. It's like an hour long show. That literally only needs to be 30 minutes. Um, and I was watching it, and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'll fall asleep. And then I woke up, and then I saw Dan Orlowski on my television, and then I got a recommended video on my feed with Dan in it. So I was like, cool. Let me find uh, this clip where he's taught, where he's breaking down tape, right? Because he's a tape guy. And this is the uh, the obnoxiousness about tape watchers or tape guys. Let me take a swig of my water. Jesus Christ, I was super thirsty. I just like drank almost a little bit under half a bottle of water. And I could still probably like continue to drink it. God, I'm so thirsty. Anyways, you know, the problem with like guys that watch tape is that I feel like sometimes like tape watching tape watchers kind of like there's an air about them where it's like this is a like the tape. The tape doesn't lie. The eye in the sky don't lie. Right. It's a constant thing that I hear people say. And uh, more importantly than that, I constantly hear tape watchers are just like these like these guys that are just like, you know, like like they have insight on the game that other people don't, you know. It's like, cool story, bro. Um, this is kind of one of those examples where it's like people can have tape and if you don't understand what's going on on the screen and what's being said, it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to counter it. Right. But and it's in like, oh, this is why I hate sports media. Everybody should be a tape watcher. Everybody should understand how to watch tape or like a little bit of tape. I'm bad at it. But even like even I can kind of evaluate players. You know. And it's like so and, and it's again, one of the things that I like constantly roll my eyes at where it's like, hey, guys, listen, man, um. We watch football on an annual basis. We wa- I watch a lot of football on an annual basis. This is my second year doing this semi-professionally, even though I don't get paid. How the fuck do I know how to watch tape more than some of the other people? Because um, it's NFL Live and Mina Kimes is on there, and she doesn't know how to break down tape. And I like Mina Kimes a lot. I love her, actually, as a personality. But how do you not understand like what he's showing you? Like, and I get it, you got to kind of think on your feet here. But it's like, when you watch the play that Dan is about to break down as Mina, I'm like, Mina, like, come on, girl. Like, how do you not know what you're watching right now? She should be able to destroy Dan Orlovsky in this segment and be like, Dan, you're wrong. You may be a tape. And and I I don't get it, right? Like, Like, there's, like, guys that are, like, great debaters and things of that nature on these shows. And then there's guys and then there's gals that are just that that like break down tape. And I'm like, why can't you literally like do both? You know, 
Like Dan is the tape and film guy. He's a former NFL backup quarterback, man. And it's like, like, like literally watching tape is nothing more than listening, not listening, but like watching a football game with the sound off. Like that's literally what I was doing on Saturday with Patrick Sertain. I can't wait to watch him again this weekend. Who, who's Alabama going up against this weekend? I can't wait to do it again this weekend. Or do they have um, the day off because of, um, what is it? Because of uh, Thanksgiving. I'm not, I'm not 100% on the up and up. Oh, no, they have a game on Saturday against Auburn. I can't wait to watch him against Auburn. And I cannot wait to watch him against, I think his name is Steven Williamson. Steven Williamson uh, was being guarded by another potential first-round draft pick and J.C. Horn out of uh, South Carolina. I think that's the school that he plays for. He may be a, a, um, a draft target for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, in that game, they, they were trying J.C. Horn. They were trying to get him. They, they, I mean, because J.C. Horn was super grabby, is super grabby as well. But um, JC, they were trying. They were trying to try JC Horn, you know. And when I watch Alabama play, I think to myself, I'm like, okay, JC Horn, not Alabama. But when I watch like Auburn play, they will go after the number one wide, uh, not wide receiver. They will go after the corner, and I can't wait. And this, this is going to be a pivotal game for Patrick Sertain as a corner. Because he has not had, he, I don't know how many times he's been targeted, but he has not been targeted, like, at all this year. At least in the games that I've seen him in. Like, this is a, oh, here we go. Here's one of the times that he gets thrown the football to against Kentucky in 60 minutes. He got thrown the ball at him four times for one completion. This was the incompletion. This was a great play by Patrick Sertain. Kentucky is inside the red zone. They're inside the actual seven-yard line of Alabama. They're deep inside of Alabama territory. The quarterback for Kentucky rolls to his right. He's throwing on the move for his wide receiver, and Patrick Sertain makes the play on the ball where he's able to break up the pass and cause an incompletion. Great job by Patrick Sertain here. Dang. And do you want to know what I like? Do you want to know what I see about Patrick Sertain? Oh no, he doesn't even get moved. He doesn't get shook up at all in that play. Do you want to know what I see when I watch Pat Patrick Sertain as somebody who's evaluating players? And I put that in air quotes because I'm not a scout. Sticky as duct tape. It's like the vocabulary, the verbiage that you use when you're talking about corners and things of that nature. Dude is as sticky as duct tape for Alabama. Like, he doesn't really get... I've, I haven't seen him get beaten on a lot of plays. Like, he got beaten one play. Oh, my God, one play in 60 minutes. Like, that's it. Sticky as duct tape, my friend. Can't wait to watch him against Williamson. That's going to be an interesting game. Because if he destroys Williamson, because Auburn will challenge him. If he destroys Williamson this weekend, I think he's the number one overall corner in this year's draft. Let me um, let me pull up the Dan Orlovsky tape. Me like Mina should have been able to have destroyed him here, but um, because Dan's argument, like like Dan trying to pull up tape, like I, like again, like there's a certain amount of prestige, right, to to guys that watch tape. Ooh, we watch tape, like like we know what we're talking about, right? It, it, as if you do, right, and. 
Mina, like, Mina is a decade older than I am. She should be able to destroy him. Like, she's been in sports for a very long time. No disrespect to her, but it's like, come on, girl. Like, you should be able to destroy him. Watch a little bit of football. Watch a little bit of tape. She's on NFL Live. How do you not break down tape? Like, I feel like it should be a, choir, a requirement that, like, like, Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky are former players. Like, I feel like they, Mina and Laura should be able to, to break down tape. There's nothing wrong with having deficiencies in your game. Just, like, admit it and then just, like, work on it. There's plenty of people that I'm pretty sure that, that are at ESPN that would teach them. that would love to teach them how to watch tape. Watch tape, bro. Get a cup of coffee, sit in a comfortable-ass chair, get one of those clickers, and then just rewind and pause and fast-forward. You know what I'm saying? Just watch some fucking tape. It's not that hard. Anyways. Um, here's Mina Kimes and Dan Orlovsky. You're going to hear Mina Kimes laughing because, like, like, she tries to break down Dan, but she can't because Dan has tape and everybody values that over just, like, words and stuff like that. Because, like, it's something you can see. It's something tangible. But I'm going to break down Dan myself with his own fucking tape because he has one of the plays. It's one of the interceptions that Carson Wentz throws that I wanted to show you. And that, I, like, he just literally did my homework for me. I'm, I'm super glad that Dan just was, like, so polite, did my homework for me. Like, now I don't have to look for this clip. Now I can just show you it. Uh, or actually have Dan show you it. Here's Dan Orlovsky and Mina Kimes uh, kind of going at it. Again, Mina is going to snicker and laugh and stuff like that, but is not going to actually be able to break down the tape. Here we go. To that, It's not all on just the quarterback. We need to make sure that everyone realizes that the play of the quarterback... Excuses. But let's listen to the play of the quarterback. Let's listen to what he has to say. ...is connected in tune with everybody else. This is the pick six, okay? Look at the route concept. There's a little bit of a fake bubble, play-action fake. Now watch the backside of this. Because this tight end, tight end wing grouping, like, you should be blocking... That blitzing corner. Now, Carson Wentz, maybe you don't like to throw. Maybe you, maybe like, why aren't you letting it out of your hands? But he's really just going to go throw this check down. Carson Wentz, don't play hero ball. That's exactly what he's doing. Tight end wing doesn't pick up that number four pressure. Leads to a pick six. So that's the pick six, right? Now, when you watch that play, and I kind of, I saw it on Sunday, and I was like, holy fuck. Like, that's a terrible fucking play. That's a god-awful fucking play, and I'll describe to you why, right? So, Carson Wentz, and, and the Eagles, they love to run plays like this, right? They love to, lo they love to run, I, I don't know, this is West Coast, this is like a West Coast offense, right? Or, or West Coast concept where, depending on how your defense plays, or the defense plays against Carson Wentz, will kind of, or, or, or excuse me, depending on how the defense plays up against the um, these wide receivers, will kind of depend on how... Carson Wentz will throw this football, right? So you have this two-by-two two concept, right? Two receivers on one side, two receivers on another. In this particular case, it is two tight ends on the right side of the football field. That's the backside, right? They're on the line of scrimmage. They're blocking, right? In this particular case, on this play, the two tight ends that Dan Orlovsky is referring to is blitzing. Right? Or not t uh, blitzing, excuse me, but pass protecting here. Right? You have five guys on the line of scrimmage, five offensive linemen, two tight ends. Right? Actually, no, you have five guys. Right? The DB that's going to blitz and cause the, um, like the ball to come out a little bit floaty is, uh, 
is 21. I think it's Denzel Ward. And his, his blitz is delayed, and I'll kind of get into why later on. But let's kind of focus on the strong side of the formation where all of the wide receivers are running routes and things of that nature. You kind of have an over-under concept where the guy outside is going to run the over route, meaning that he's going to go up the field. And the guy on the under route is kind of going to go underneath the over route, and he's going to go outside. He's going to run an out route. The over guy is going to run an in, an in-breaking route. The under guy is going to run an out route, right? So how the defense is essentially going to play this, they have a deep safety covering the guy in the slot. Maybe not the slot. Uh, uh, I don't know who that is, but he's inside the numbers, right? They have a DB. Maybe like how many yards is that? I'm bad at, like, just reading. That's, like, 10 yards. He's 10 yards away from the wide receiver, right? 10 yards, almost 11, really. He's playing a very, very deep, deep coverage. The other DB is off. He's only off, and he's playing an off coverage. He's only off by, like, five yards, right? So Carson Wentz, pre-snap, should know where the ball is going to. He should know... Because it looks like the defense is trying not to give up the deep over route. It looks like they're trying to force Carson Wentz to throw the shallower route because they're going to blitz, right? That's what the defense is. That's the concept that I'm guessing that the defense is trying to do or run here. There's only two receivers, technically three, and that's the check down, and that's the guy in the flat. Even the guy in the flat, for example, is going to be guarded by a linebacker, right? He's going to be guarded by a linebacker, and maybe he can get the first down, but at least this is like a four- to five-yard play here, minimum, right, if you go through your progressions really, really quickly. Mina Kimes also, shout-out to her, though. Um, Mina Kimes, she also tweeted out something, or not tweeted out, she referenced something on the show where a friend of hers talked about how Carson Wentz is throwing the ball or holding onto the ball for four seconds. Now, that may seem like a little bit of time, but th we're talking about professional athletes. We're talking about athletes that can run 40-yard dashes. 40 for, um, we're talking about them running 40 yards in like 4.4, 4.5 seconds. So four seconds is a lot of time because you don't need to run 40 yards in 4.5 seconds. You only need to get, get to the quarterback um, who, who's, who's like in the shotgun or under center or has a deep drop back of like a seven-step drop back, you only need to get there in like three seconds. Like that's how long it usually takes for a defensive lineman or defensive lineman, excuse me, to get to the quarterback, like three seconds. That's usually when the ball is out. He's a full second late. And yes, that matters because a full second is like him holding onto the f football for four seconds is giving the defense an additional second when they get there in three, they're giving him almost, what is it? Double the amount of time that it takes for them to get there. Maybe not double, but like, what is it? Like a third? Yeah, literally a third. My bad. I don't know why I said double. Like a third, excuse me. Third amount more time. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But on this particular play, going back to the play, over under concept he should be able to hit the man running the under concept essentially as soon as the play develops let's run the play right and even the guy running the the under route sells it as if it's a bubble screen like dan said 
But the man who, like, it's a wide open pass. He's uncovered. He is uncovered. It's 10 yards. Easily. And he's open. Like, wide open. Like, he has, against the DB that's covering him, I cannot exaggerate this. How many yards of separation does he have? Eight. He has like eight yards of separation. The DB is nowhere close to him. He needs to lob it over the linebacker, but for the most part, like he needs to throw it to like the 45, not the 45, the 35 yard line of Cleveland's of Cleveland to essentially get the completion. It's a completion. And Dan Orlovsky's like, you know what? Um, I don't know why the, like, I don't know why Carson Wentz didn't throw the ball. Maybe he didn't like the throw. Dan, this is an easy throw. You may not need to throw a bullet, but it, it should be more of a lob. But this is an easy throw to make, especially if it's on time, like how it should be. He should have gotten this ball out like that. It should have been pre-snapped. Oh, the DB isn't like the DB is literally playing off. He's like 11 yards off. I have so much, and my guy is gonna break off on the inside. And on top of that, I have a guy going inside that's also gonna help me out as well. This should be an easy route. Easy route, easy ball. And he just doesn't deliver it. And when I say he doesn't deliver it, I literally mean he stares down a wide open wide receiver and doesn't throw the ball. I cannot explain to you why he doesn't throw the ball because there's nothing bad about this play. You can maybe argue the linebacker, but that's why you lob the ball. That's why you have the touch to, to lob it. So that way you do get the ball there. And then on top of that, you just... For example, deliver the ball quicker and you completely eviscerate both the DB and the linebacker from the play. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why he... I mean, as soon as he essentially runs the play fake, bang, ball should be out. Ball should be out. Ball should be out right here. The linebacker isn't involved in the play. You can throw a bullet right here. The DB that's blitzing is out of the play. Just throw the ball, man. Throw it right here. Bang. Pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. Let me let me tell you how many how long he 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 um he holds the ball. How long does he hold it? Remember, three seconds is enough for for a defensive end to 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 decapitate you. Excuse me. Let me see. Do they have a running clock? When do they snap the ball? They do have a running clock. Let me see it. Let me see it. They snap the ball at 47. Carson Wentz at 44. The ball should have already been delivered. The ball really should have been delivered within two seconds. So it's 1344. The ball was snapped at 1347. Let's see how long he holds the ball. 43. That's four seconds. Gets decapitated by the DB. Okay. And on this particular play, so Dan is talking about, we talked about kind of what's going on on the strong side with the wide receivers and the over-under concept here. The the uh, the tight ends on the back side, these guys are just blocking, right? So there's four guys on the line of scrimmage. There is four guys, right? There's four tight ends as well. The reason why the tight end that's supposed to be, and I put that in air quotes, supposed to be blocking the DB, the reason why he doesn't commit to the DB is because there's a linebacker who's also posing. He's kind of reading and reacting the play. 
or he's disguising the coverage more specifically. He's disguising it in the sense of he is on the line of scrimmage and he hasn't either rushed or bailed yet. So the tight end can't commit on the DB on this particular play. So when the kind of the linebacker is shuffling, trying to read if this is a play, because it's play action. So he's reading this if, if this is a passing play or a running play. The linebacker, once he realizes that this is a running play, he just bails, right? Bang, he bails. And the um, the uh, 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 by that point, the tight end isn't in position to, to go after, or not go after, but to block the DB. But the ball should have been out by now. This is 45. This is like the ball was snapped at 47 seconds, 13 minutes, 45, 47 seconds, excuse me, of the second quarter. This is when the ball should have been snapped. Or not snap, but thrown. Like he should have. Like he has the wide receiver open, and he just doesn't deliver it. It's not on the tight end. It's on Carson Wentz. And then Dan Orlovsky's like, Carson Wentz is trying to play hero ball, and it's like, the check down may have gotten you some yards, but it would not have gotten you the first. It, it probably, like at worst, again, I talked about like four to five yards if you take the check down, but it's like the guy's open. You get like 10 plus yards with the out route. Instead, you get a pick six. So he goes on to another play, right? Let's listen in on this. Six. How about this one? Are you going to get a little play action fake and orbit bubble behind the quarterback and it's just the sale concept? It's a scissors route, meaning that you're going to have Essentially, the guy, it's it's not an over-under concept. It's it's more along the lines that both guys are going to run deep routes and they're going to like crisscross at the top of the routes, creating like like a, a scissors, like like scissors. You know how like like there's like it, like it's hard to explain, but just like look up scissors route on Google and you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. It's a scissors route that they're trying to run. And you're gonna get a looping defensive end. Now, first of all, offensively. Essentially, the defensive end is going to go all the way across the formation. We're going to look at the snap to pass here in a second. Get that looping defensive end so he's not in my face. I got to make the decision now, but I see Greg Ward is going to run that corner up, but I want to hold him up because that flat defender's got his shoulder square to me. I want to throw right on his back shoulder. See it the same way as me, receiver. I'm going to let it go because I have to. Looper's in my face. Greg Ward keeps running to the sideline, almost an interception. Everyone goes, well, Carson Wentz stinks at quarterback, so listen. <laughs> Well, he does, Dan. I don't even know what he's talking about. Why is he talking about him throwing a back shoulder fade? Again, this should be a lob. Unless, unless I'm mistaken, this throw should be a lob. And there's, like, so much badness on this play, right? Like, first and foremost, this ball should be going to the boundary. Like, I don't know why he's throwing it to the back shoulder inside. This should be... A lob. Let me, in fact, let me get a, a better, a better image of this picture because the, um, the tape that I'm watching is a little bit grainy. <clears throat> I think I, I even have the Browns. Oop, what, what was that? Was that Browns? I like exited out of a tab. Okay. That's nothing. Where's the Browns versus the Eagles? Literally minimize both of my searching caps.
Uh, sorry for uh, sorry that this is taking so long to explain. Let me go back to like the second interception of the day for Carson Wentz. What was this? This was eight minutes forty-seven seconds. Eagles, it's ten to nineteen. They're still in the game, right? Your defense only has to make like one more stop, and then you're like green, right? You're green to go. Let's see it. Let's go all the way to like eight minutes, right? And I didn't actually see the second interception. I only saw the first one, and I was like, that's just terrible Carson Wentz right there. And my webpage is taking like forever to load. I'm also about to get an ad, by the way. I love how it like takes fucking forever to load like where I want to go in the video. And then it's like, oh, oh wait, we'll also hit you with a, um, an advertisement as well that you can't skip the first 15 seconds of. So you have to riff for like 20, 10 to 20 seconds. And then we're going to take forever to load back in. Where's the, uh, where's the second interception? I think I'm at it. We're showing Kareem Hunt hurdling people. I think this is it. This is the play, right? Why is he not throwing in um, outside? Now, I don't know. Let me look at it again. Yeah. What is Dan talking about here? Hold on. Let me try and what is he talking about? What is Dan talking about? Again, I'm not a tape guy. I don't I don't claim to be a tape guy. I never played football in uh, in high school or in college. What is Dan talking about here? Dan is a is a former professional NFL quarterback. What is he talking about? Hold on. Let me listen to this. Let me let me let you listen to this as well. Orbit bubble behind the quarterback, and it's just the sale concept. And you're going to get a looping defensive end. Now, first of all, offensive line, get that looping defensive end so he's not in my face. I got they do. Like, first and foremost, the looping defensive end doesn't get there in time at all. Like, the ball should be out in, like, almost half a second later. Like, as soon as the wide re – really, the wide receiver is about to go into his break, and he's about to break off to the outside, break off his route to the outside – the ball should be out, like, before the, de the the defensive end even gets there. Like, the defensive end almost takes himself completely out of the play. Make the decision now, but I see Greg Ward is going to run that corner up, but I want to hold him up because that flat defender's got his shoulder square to me. I want to throw it right on his back shoulder. See it the same way as me receive. I love how, like, the ESPN, like, graphics, they go, they have these advertisements that, not advertisements, that these, like, sound effects that, like, that are, like, like like somebody's blowing into a microphone or something like that but what he's talking about here is that the uh, the db has essentially has his shoulders squared or shoulders like close to Carson Wentz but you can fit this but the again like we're talking the db is nowhere near him i got like if you if you fit this ball into his break, and if you throw this almost at the numbers, you're fine. You're fine. Like, he's beating the guy that has him covered. Like, like he's running a seam route. He's running, like, a like a seam, like, um, 
like a, a deep route, like a deep seam route. And it looks like the safety is trying to cover him um, uh, to like the right side of the field. They're on the left. Like he's running, like it's hard to explain, but he's running like a seam route and there's a safety to the right of him. The DB is to the left. He's, he's like, he's on the, he would have been on the left side of the formation. So he's generated a lot of separation if that helps at all. The DB is like, where's he at? He's at the 23 yard line. The wide receiver is at the 20. 28 29 yard line we're talking again an enormous amount of separation and then on top of that the db is outside the numbers the wide receiver is inside like it's a tight fit it's a tight squeeze and this is kind of the this is like where arm strength kind of you know compensates for it where if you throw an absolute bullet you can fit it in and be perfectly fine the decision now but i see greg ward is going to run that corner up but i want to hold him up because that flat defender's got his shoulder square to me i want to throw right on his back shoulder see it the same way as me receiver i'm gonna let it go because i have to bloopers in my face greg ward keeps running this i don't know what he's talking about i have no idea what dan Orlovsky is talking about like it's it's a bad throw like bang i'm following him i'm following him you need to throw outside. There is no way that this DB can pick this ball. If you throw it outside, if you throw it more on the outside, if you throw a fucking missile, an ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missile to Greg Ward or whoever is running this route, you throw a fucking missile, there is no way this DB touches this ball. There's no way. There is no way there's no way oh my god there's no way there's no way he's at the 35 like he stops his route like and and by the way he tries to throw a back shoulder fade and the db try, not the db the wide receiver is like like i have no idea what dan is doing or dan is saying there's no need to throw a back shoulder fade you throw it at like you you throw it literally at like the um the 35 because he, he like you throw it deeper and you throw it to the outside. I, I I made a mistake. I said you throw it at the 30. You really need to throw it at the 35-yard line of the Browns. You throw it at the 35 of the Browns. And you throw an out route. It's an easy completion. It's, it's a first down. It's a first down. He goes up the field. And then, bang, he breaks off. Why? Why is this? And it's just a bad throw because he throws behind the wide receiver. If you hit the wide receiver in stride, he may get four or five more yards. If you hit the wide receiver, he's going to get a first down. It's first and 15, Carson. This is a bad throw. First and foremost, he overthrows the wide receiver. Let's just get that out of the way. He overthrows him. The ball needed to be at the 35-yard line. He throws it to the 40, right? Second of all, the ball is behind him. Why is he running a back shoulder fade? Why why would he run a back shoulder fade here? I don't get that at all. The safety it looks like or the is that a safety? No, the DB that's that's covering the over route, he cuts the over route short, which is why you needed to throw to the 35. Like throw towards the boundary. But the issue also is, is that he needs to throw the ball as soon as the wide receiver goes into his break. So when he comes out of it, 
The ball is already there, but he even throws it. Technically, he does throw it when he goes into the break. But if he had thrown it correctly, we're not talking about an incompletion or an interception in this particular case. We're talking about a first down. The ball should be at the, at the, at the numbers, and it would have been caught. Because the DB, yeah, he's playing, he's playing the boundary. He's playing, like, outside the numbers. If you threw it out the numbers, there's no way he touches it. Yeah, he had, like, six yards of separation. And again, this is when arm strength comes into account. This is when like come. This is when arm strength kind of comes into play, where it's like if you just throw a fucking nuclear missile, a nuclear warhead, explosive payload. Like we're not we're not even having this discussion of an interception. I I don't I don't get what Dan Orlovsky is talking about. almost interception everyone goes well Carson Wentz stinks at quarterback <laughs> so listen he has to become better yes he has not played well this year but I'm telling you 35 throws on Sunday there were two poor moments as a quarterback two moments where I go that's on the quarterback that's just a bad read I also have no idea why he showed those plays at all because those were 1000% on Carson Wentz and he's also going to talk about how it's also not on Carson Wentz and how it's on his teammates and it's like Come on, man. We both know that's not true. Either he doesn't know how to break down tape, which is shocking, or um, he's lying on national television. Bad. Which would not surprise me, considering how many people lie on national television. Oh, so he has to play better. Yes, but everything around here need around him needs to get a lot better in Philadelphia. So, anyways, that was like something that just like. I rolled my eyes at that. I was like, I was like, I cannot believe Dan Orlovsky literally showed me that play and was like, yeah, like that's great quarterback play from, uh, from Carson Wentz. I'm like, dude, you're an NFL quarterback. You, you were a NFL quarterback. Like, again, I come like, uh, like I'm, I'm somebody who, who loves to watch esports, who loves to be in the environment of esports in a video. Like some, someone did that. If somebody did what Dan Orlovsky did today on NFL Live, do you what, do you want to know what the fuck would happen if somebody did that online? If somebody just broke down tape incorrectly, they would have fucking gotten dunked on on Reddit, on the um, on Twitter, on all of like on, on fuck like they they would not be like like other people would be talking. People would fucking check them. Why is nobody checking Dan Orlovsky? That is so incorrect. I'm a dude that's never played football professionally or collegiately. I just fucking destroyed Dan Orlovsky. Why is nobody checking him? Besides Max Kellerman, who actually does check him on Carson Wentz. But, like, somebody who is inside the industry, like, pull his ass aside and be like, bro, that is incorrect. You are wrong. This isn't, like, a debate show. This isn't, like, some... Like, that is literally lying to your audience. Like, it's okay to be wrong and to fuck up and to make mistakes... But when you're actually lying and you're not even breaking down the tape correctly, that's what I have a fucking problem with. How do you not how do you how do you do that? How do you get away with that? That is incorrect. That's a lie. That is wrong. You're an NFL quarterback. You should know better than that. Holy smokes. I don't get that at all. And I still haven't read you Baker Mayfield's statistics. I just read that. 
Just realized it. Pretty much he's average in every statistical area. He's um Oh yeah, and I also um I also like I also kind of looked at kind of transitioning from Carson Wentz and Dan Orlovsky to Baker. I was looking at his stats like the other day. His stats are horrible against like good teams. They're great against bad teams, but they're like terrible against um, good teams. Like the games that I saw were the two Bengals games and the Cowboys game. And it's like he had 69% completion percentage against the Bengals, 63% against the Cowboys, uh, 78% against the Bengals, right? He had five touchdowns, one interception against the Bengals in the second game, 135.6 passer rating, 297 yards. Um, 165 yards against the Cowboys, two touchdowns, a 100 passer rating. And then against the Bengals in the first game, he had 219 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and 110 yards, right? So he has, like, a lot of fantastic statistics against the Cowboys and the Bengals, right? He has how many touchdowns? Five against the Bengals in that second game, two against the Cowboys, Another two against the Bengals, right? So he technically, and then he has, so he has nine inter, uh, nine touchdowns, excuse me. He has one, two interceptions, right? So he has nine touchdowns, two interceptions against the Bengals and the Cowboys, right? His touchdown to interception ratio is 15 to 7. 15 to 7. So the nine touchdowns that he got this season against the Bengals and the Cowboys, three games out of 11, by the way, those nine touchdowns, I think it's actually closer to 10 games. Those nine touchdowns that he got against those teams literally counts for 15 of his total touchdowns. The two interceptions that he has, against those three games or in those three games uh, counts for seven. So a very minimal amount. And literally all of his great passer rating games that he has, except against the Washington football team, is another game as well. Like he literally only has four games where he is, where he has an above average passer rating. Like every, every other game is significantly below average. I think an average passer rating, I wrote this down in my journal, front cover, 93.4. Here are his passer ratings. And by the way, being like 10 points or below is terrible when it comes to passer rating. Um, 86.2 against the Eagles, 79.6 against the Texans, 62.4 against the Raiders, 54.9 against the Steelers, 72.7 against the Colts. Talked about the Cowboys, Washington, and the two Bengal games. And then 65.0 against the Ravens week one, game one. He has an 89.7 passer rating, which is slightly below average. But really, if I took out the three games that he had against the Cowboys and the Bengals, he would probably have an, an even worse passer rating. Bit overrated. Bit overrated. And his completion percentage is like, like average is like 60%, right? He has a 60.8% completion percentage. Um, I'm not going to, I'm going to take out the three games, right? And I'll only give you all of the other games. 54.5 below average, 60 average, 48.0 below average, 
That was the Washington game. And then 53.8 against the Ravens. Literally every game that he's played against good NFL teams to average NFL teams, like against the Texans. He had 132 yards and and a 60% completion percentage against the Texans, who are abominable. Abominable on defense. And he, like, he still couldn't fucking, like, do anything. Yikes. Yikes. Like, Baker, Baker has got a lot of fucking work to do, bro. He's got a lot of fucking work to do. He's 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 overrated in my opinion right now. He's overrated. Same thing goes with Carson Wentz. They're both overrated. His his overall completion percentage is I mean, he's worse than Baker. He doesn't do it Doug Peterson wants him to do. He's fi- he's at a 58.4% completion percentage. His touchdown to interception ratio is 14-14, which is not even average. It is significantly below average. It's at a 1 to 1. His passer rating is at a 73.3. What are his games that are keeping up his passer ratings from it being like not abominable? He's been like kind of more consistent then Baker Mayfield, in the sense of, like, he hasn't had a 48 passer rating ever in this season, but he's had, like, he's had a bunch of, like, 70s, 80s, 90s, but he's never broken the above-average passer rating. He hasn't had an, an average passer rating. And he has thrown... Holy fuck, he's bad. Holy shit, he's so bad. Why is anybody defending Carson Wentz? Why is anybody defending Carson Wentz? Fuck me sideways on a Tuesday. Why am I watching his... Why why are his statistics like this? Does anyone realize how bad his statistics are? Does anyone not realize how fucking terrible his fucking numbers are? 60% against the Browns. 56% against the, the Giants. 55% 55% against the Cowboys in 123 yards. That's the Cowboys. The Cowboys don't have a secondary. The Giants again at 58. Can you name me a, a Giants corner? 52% against the Ravens. It's the Ravens, but you're a starting quarterback. 57%, 64 and 61% against the, the 49ers on the Ravens. Not the Ravens. 49ers and the Steelers, respectively. Not the Steelers. The 49ers and the Bengals, respectively. 60% against the Rams and 57% against the Washington football team. That's a joke. How are people defend? I remember I saw Colin Cowherd on a video that he posted last week. Let me pull it up. Let me pull up who he compares Carson Wentz to. Let me pull it up because this is asinine. This is actually ridiculous that people are defending him. 
Holy shit. Don't, don't tell me literally somebody said this too. Holy fucking shit. Hold on. Let me mute. I just saw something that got pulled up in my feed. On top of the video that I'm trying to find. Why are people giving out these disgusting hot takes, bro? Why do they do this to me? Why? Why is Colin Cowherd going on his show and saying these terrible things? Why? What am I watching? Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen. He is going to compare. He's going to like, like, let me, let me give you a, a bit of context to this. Colin Cowherd is essentially talking about how quarterbacks aren't deserving of the payment that they're getting deserved. And he's putting them in tiers. It's calling the, he's calling it the quarter bank tier, right? Wait, quarter bank tier, right? Tiers. And he's got Carson Wentz in one of the tiers. I'll play you the video. Let's kind of continue forward from there. Or at least one Super Bowl ring. I may not pay that for a long time, but at the quarter bank, I would pay them right now $30 million because of the... He's not talking about Carson Wentz. It's, it's in a little bit forward. ...need of their teams. They Without them, their teams are not Super Bowl teams. And then I would pay four, five young quarterbacks $25 million. They're exceptional. But they don't have rings. They have holes in their game. Lamar, Kyler Murray, Deshaun, Carson Wentz, and Goff. Lamar... Not a brilliant passer. Incorrect. Incorrect. Lamar is how Baltimore uses him. Lamar Jackson is a actual like representation of how the scheme is absolutely failing him. How they don't use Hollywood Brown in the short passing game. How they only perceive him as a deep threat. How they constantly how they constantly use the tight ends to um to to run like deep seam routes is ridiculous. Like ridiculous analysis of Carson Wentz. He absolutely, not Carson Wentz, Lamar Jackson. He absolutely is a brilliant thrower. He also, like I've been saying it last year and also this year, doesn't have any fucking weapons. Doesn't, I said it like when he lost against Tennessee last year, said it ironically almost a a year later where he lost once again against Tennessee. Doesn't have any fucking weapons. Kyler Murray's never won a division. Look, plays in one of the hardest divisions in all of sports. Everybody wants to say, you know, uh, the NFC West is one of the hardest divisions. He gets to go up against three teams that have been to the Super Bowl in the last decade, two of which twice, the Niners and the Seattle Seahawks. They've both been to the Super Bowl twice in the last 10 years. Oh, and by the way, he also gets to have fun up against Aaron Donald and the Rams once a year as well with a bad offensive line and essentially one receiver and uh, Kenyon Drake out running back. That's who he gets. That's that's how it, that's that's what he gets to do this year. That's the division that he gets to play uh, in. And by the way, he's only been in the NFL for a year and a half, and he's already going to go to the playoffs more likely than not. He's never won a division. He's not been in the league for over four years. What are you talking about? Let's win a few more games before we make him, you know, 30, 35, 40. Deshaun Watson can be really, really inconsistent. Incorrect as well. Let me pull up Deshaun Watson's numbers for you. It's ridiculous. I can literally fact check you. I can literally 
pull up the numbers, my guy. Deshaun Watson has 20 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 108.6 passer rating, which is above average, significantly so, by the way. Remember, 93.4 is average. Any like Anything above 10 points or more, like anything with 10 points, like if you're above 10 points or below 10 points, it like, like it's a significant gap. Like 10 points is a lot of points. He's significantly above average when it comes to passer rating. He's significantly above uh, above average when it comes to completion percentage. He's at a 68.9% completion percentage. He's going to be on pace for almost 5,000 yards throwing this season or passing this season without his number one wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. What are we talking about here? Oh, and, and, and by the way, like let's let's go on a game by game basis basis. Excuse me, when it comes to completion percentage, when Carson not Carson Colin uh, talks about how how uh, how how Deshaun is inconsistent. Let me show you his inconsistency: sixty two percent, sixty nine percent, seventy percent, sixty percent, seventy one percent, seventy five percent, seventy four percent, fifty nine percent. That's a, that's below average. 66% and 75%. He only has two games where he is either thrown average or below average this season. Every other game is significantly above average. He has one, two, three, four, five, five games, half the season, where he's thrown for over 300 yards or more. Again, he has five interceptions. He hasn't thrown an interception in six games. For some weird reason, they were against the Jags. I don't, I don't get that at all. The first three interceptions were in the first three weeks. He's absolutely cleaned up his game. He has learned how to function within the dysfunction of the Houston Texans. And Colin Cowherd just said that he's inconsistent. It's a Google search away. You are a Google search away from understanding the concept the concepts, excuse me, of Deshaun Watson. Carson Wentz gets hurt a lot. Carson Wentz gets hurt a lot, but he's on the level of Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and Jared Goff. And I'm not a big fan of Jared Goff because I think he's more of a of a um, product of the Sean McVay system. But even I would pick Jared Goff over Carson Wentz. And there are games he looks awful. And then Jared Goff, who got to a Super Bowl, throws one of the best deep balls in the NFL – more athletic than people give him credit for. He's Matt Ryan with more athletic. By the way, I would not consider him to have a great deep ball, considering what I saw on Monday night yesterday against the Bucks. Out a better thrower of the football. So once you, I, I don't know where he gets these. I don't get. I don't get where he gets these analysis from, where he says Jared Goff is one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL. If you know, like the completion percentage, like let me pull up the completion percentage when it comes to deep balls. I may get linked an article. Best. Deep ball throws in NFL. Here we go. NFL.com. NFL's top 10 deep ball throwers. Russell Wilson. This is uh, September 30th. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, Jared Goff actually is. (laughs) Never mind. I thought it was going to be worse, but he actually is. Never mind. My bad. Patrick Mahomes is the number six, by the way. I think it's based on, like, completions and things of that nature. But, yeah, my bad. Never mind. Never mind. 
I, 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 re I retract. I recant my statement. But in the quarter bank, when you put Carson in that category, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. He wins his division. No, he doesn't. No. No, that doesn't make sense. No, that doesn't. Colin, that doesn't make sense at all. And you can say, well, he wins his division. I can give you the three times that the Eagles have won their division. One with, uh, two, were, two was with Nick Foles finishing off the season and winning multiple playoff games. The other time that they won the division, Carson Wentz got hurt in that playoff game against Seattle last year when Jadavion Connie had concussed him. He's dealt with other chaos. Even his rookie. Technically, not really. He's only dealt with utter chaos this year and last year. And really not that much last year. He won games. He wins games. He won seven his rookie year. How are you going to tell me that seven games is winning games? That is below average. That's below 500. That's not winning games. How are you, how are you also going to say that when, like, Dak won 13 games in his rookie year? And by the way, he doesn't have Dak in this category of, of quarterbacks where he's like, I would, and by the way, he said that he would pay Dak Prescott $22 million, And it's like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. Goodness when gracious. you, though, elevate him to the $35 million category, the Rodgers, close to Russell, Brady, yes, it feels outrageous. Just like Dak feels outrageous if you franchise tag him at 37 and a half. Oh, God, there's so much wrong. I'd like... There's so much wrong with what he just said. I, I, I don't even – I've been going at this for like an hour and a half, and I haven't even like kind of given you um, my final like thought on on this weekend. So I'm going to have to kind of like speed this up. But if, if you paid quarterbacks in the tier – and remember, what you make for a living, folks, a lot of times is scarcity of jobs, is leverage, is timing. Let's face it. You go into a pandemic, you're not going to get a raise. The stock market's up. You may get a raise. Carson Wentz, at the time, pre-pandemic, that's what they paid him. And he, he was, you know, argue it or not, there wasn't a lot of people out there. Philadelphia knows you can't win without a quarterback. But I think if you look at the tiers and you look at Wentz in that $25 million a year category, you'd have no problem with him. He wins his division. He's a winner. He's a unique arm talent. He's tough. He's got some leadership. Moxie. He's just right now paid at a level that skews our perception. Joy Taylor with the news. Incorrect. Incorrect. And we kind of just spent like an hour talking about it. He's overpaid. He's overrated. He's Baker Mayfield, except with more talent. And then I saw this weird I, – I got this, like, weird thing in my recommendations. Like, you want to know somebody who's, like, actually dealing with chaos and dysfunction? It's Deshaun Watson. It's Deshaun Watson. It's not fucking Carson Wentz. I don't get this infatuation with Carson Wentz either. It's so weird that people are, like – they're just saying, like, like they're coming out and defending him. And it's like, dude, he's losing games to, NFC, to the NFC East, bro. He's lost two. In the, has he seriously lost fucking two in the NFC East? The Giants? He's only played three games. He's one and two in the NFC East. Each team in the NFC East has three wins. One of Carson Wentz's. Two, of, two losses for Carson Wentz are NFC East teams. He's got three more games, by the way. I have no idea how he's going to win three games. And then on top of that, the Eagles, they also have – who else do they got on deck here? 
who else do they got? They got the Seahawks next week, the Packers the week after that, the Saints the week after that, the Cardinals, the Cowboys, Washington again. Excuse me, Carson Wentz has played in four NFC East games. He has won two. Not a lot better. It's the king of the losers. Not even the king of the losers, The because um, he's not technically the king yet. He's going to lose like four to six games in the next like six weeks. And I was like, maybe he can beat the Browns. It's not beating Seattle. It's not beating Green Bay. He's not beating the Saints. It's not good enough. He's not going to beat the Cardinals. Kyler has one fucking guy in the Andre Hopkins, and he finds a way. Finds a fucking way. Get the fuck out of here talking about Carson Wentz is in the same tier as Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray. Fuck out of here. Holy fuck. It's so bad. And then it's like apparently Booger McFarland saying Joe Burrow should sit out of the 2021 season. Let me listen to this. Oh, Booger McFarland said Joey Burrow yeah. should just sit out the entire 2021 season. <laughs> if he comes back 12 months from now and he's week 10, week 8 or whatever, it's going to take 9 to 12 months on Joey Burrow's ACL, MCL, and structural damage. And Booger McFarland threw out an idea. I don't think he recommended, but he threw out an idea on a Monday Night Countdown. He was like, have him sit out the entire 2021 season. Have him come back for 2022 when you build a team. And I'm like, that's, that's hilarious. Whoa. And if that's going to happen... That's wild, and that's a shame that we missed out on Joey Burrow for two years like that yeah. with how damn good he had a chance to be. Yeah, I don't think uh, Joe Burrow is going to – I don't think that's going to be his plan moving forward. Never know. Why are you so sure, dude? Just because you hit a couple bets now all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. you're Mr. 100%er all of a sudden? Prognosticator, not a doctor, saying, dude. Look at Joey Burrow. Look at who he is. The dude is an ultimate competitor. He wants to win. It's killing him already. Oh. So he's going to have a long road ahead, but – He's not going to sit out any longer than he has to. Bro, he was sitting in that goddamn thing with his leg like this, okay? Now we know. ACL, MCL, and structural damage. Like, big-time injury. Yeah. He was just sitting there like this, right? Ah, Stone face. He might be back next week. They take Exactly. <laughs> he, they take some bumps on that thing, which, by the way, has to hurt like hell because that thing's moving around. Didn't even move his face or whatever. It was just like, yeah, all right. Let me get my phone, by the way. Yeah, you ain't going to get rid of me. It's fucking easy. <laughs> all right, take me into the goddamn hospital. I mean, that was – it was insane <laughs> – but did you see what's come out today about the like the story about the Bengals locker room being toxic and all this craziness happening? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, Carlos Dunlap sold his fucking say. house after a yeah, game. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I mean, I, I not large market. What's that? What came out? <laughs> Some more stuff today. Like a story came out today saying how the locker room, like the the players don't trust the coaches. They don't like the coaches. The coaches have a weird toxic thing. Like, it's not a. Wait, 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 hold on. Really? Now I gotta look this up. Cincinnati Bengals. An inside look at the Bengals toxic culture. I gotta subscribe to Sports Illustrated. I thought there's gonna be more to that. Hold on, let me look at this. Okay, this is yeah, this isn't that long. Let me read this. I'm gonna read this out loud. Who is that? Holy smokes. Wait, wait, wait. Who wrote this? Ellie Jesse of Sports Illustrated. Hold on. I think she may just give me like the lowdown of her article that she wrote. <clears throat> I 
I'm watching an ad right now for the article. It's like four minutes. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow left Sunday's game with a season-ending left knee injury, but it sounds like the Bengals may have bigger problems. Our very own Elise Jesse joins Elise Jesse us now to discuss her detailed report at allbengals.com that brought plenty of interesting details from the Bengals locker room to the surface. Elise, mm -hmm. thanks for the time. Let's start with Zach Taylor. He was hired in 2019. He was certainly brought in to help remake this culture, rebuild it. At least that was his goal. And it sounds like he's, he's far from that goal right now. Well, James, I think everybody kind of has an understanding that when a new coach comes into an organization, there are going to be disgruntled players um, from the old regime. And there's going to be disgruntled players who come along in the era of the new coach who don't like, you know, playing time situations and they don't like the scheme. They don't like anything that's going on. And when that happens, it's up to the coaches to build relationships with those players and bring them along. Because if, if a player doesn't have a relationship... I'll get the... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just hear it from the horse's mouth. I, I won't hear her explain this. I'll just hear her write about this. Ugh, God, I, I, like, I wish she would have just gotten to the point because there's like actual like good stuff in the article. Or it's a, like a long ass article, and I think she does. Like I, I, I was kind of like skimming through it. I think she actually kind of does a good job, but I'm not like gonna hold you here for four minutes trying to get to specific points of uh, the article. Hold on, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like when I first like looked at the video that she was in. I thought she was like, I was like, oh, okay. She's like a young 20-year-old kind of doing her thing, right? Like, she doesn't sound 20 at all. <laughs> I'm not going to say how old she is but or how old I think she is, but it's like, not 20. Cincinnati Bank, this is from the article. The Cincinnati Bengals hired Zach Taylor in February 2019, hoping he would rejuvenate their franchise. He brought, uh, he brought a young, fresh perspective full of hope as we enter week 12 of the 2020 season, his vision of a strong communication and culture flowing through the locker room have yet to come to fruition. The Bengals are two and seven on the year and the four and four and 21 since Taylor became head coach. While his intentions are good, what is being created under the current regime at Paul Brown stadium is far from a dream environment of trust and cohesion. Instead, sources tell all Bengals that, that, that it is the exact opposite. Excuse me. We have heard Taylor say on numerous occasions that the players are buying into his vision, and while some players agree with him publicly, that is not quite the case behind the scenes. You don't have to be in the locker room to know that that quarterback, Joe Burrow, was respected among his teammates and coaches. He was, and she actually said it in the article, he was a voted captain, he was voted a captain before taking his first, uh, first official NFL snap. By the way, that never happens, by the way. You never see a rookie at, like, any level or any position um, take, uh, take the C, take, you know, be a captain on their team, especially at quarterback, especially because they would usually have like a backup quarterback, uh, be the captain or whatever, or not the backup quarterback, but like, like this, the guy that was there before the rookie, or maybe the backup quarterback would be promoted to the starter, but Joe Burrow getting like the captain C is on, on his Jersey year one, week one is like ridiculous actually. 
She continues to go on further to say he is a source of energy and hope for the other players around him. Uh, Excuse me. His presence was a sign that things could be could get better in the future. Burrow is a man that his peers can rally behind and believe in, a true leader guiding the rest through a chaotic situation or season, excuse me. In week 11, during Cincinnati's 20-9 road loss to Washington, the Bengals' franchise quarterback sustained a gruesome knee injury, which ended his season. Sources say Burrow tore his ACL and MCL. He also suffered damage to his PCL and meniscus, which, like, that's the entire fucking knee. Serious fucking injury, by the way. Um, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea how he's going to deal with that as a player. When the team watched their captain go down, hearing him groan in pain, the sidelines completely deflated. The spark of their football team was then carted off the field. Following the game, Taylor was asked if he sensed a change in body language and energy when Burrow left the game, and Taylor replied no. He relayed a similar message to his team following the loss on Sunday, according to sources. Players smirked at each other throughout the post-game conversation. We see right through it, a member of the team said. With injuries mounting, players on the team look to veterans like wide receiver Tyler Boyd and running back Giovanni <laughs> Giovanni Bernard for leadership as they ride the unforgiving wave of adversity through the season. When it comes to the head coach, players want transparency, accountability, and clear expectations. That type of leadership begins and ends with relationships. Has Taylor taken the time to get to know all of his players? Does he have an open-door policy? The second-year coach declined to comment. On what exactly? On any of this? On the questions that she asked? Or on this article in general? I don't know. Andy Dalton's run with the Bengals ended in April. The team released him after selecting Burrow with the number one pick. Some players on the team were not happy with how that situation was handled, but it was just another reminder that the NFL is a business. When Dalton was benched for Ryan Finley for week eight, in week eight of the 2019 season, he aired out his frustration to the media. He was, he was upset about the lack of communication between him and the coaching staff. The decision to bench him came three hours before the trade deadline. That's a weird time. At that time, Dalton believed... His agent could have found him. Oh, that makes sense. This makes sense. Could have found him a starting spot on another team. Uh, uh, I don't know about that. But he didn't have enough time to facilitate a trade. This was not solely on Taylor. I also don't know what fucking team would want to trade for Andy Dalton. Maybe the Andy, uh, maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe. But it's like, I don't know what the Jacks. I don't know what the intention for the Jags was. Maybe. I wouldn't even say the Dolphins. I don't know which team they're talking about. The Bengals held on to Dalton while his stock was at its highest and waited for his value to plummet before ultimately releasing him in April. That's kind of stupid what they did, by the way. Disgruntled players came uh, come with the territory of a coaching change, how new coaches build relationships with those players. During the transition is a critical step for a locker room's culture. Multiple sources have described the culture in Cincinnati as more of a college-level environment instead of a professional locker. Sometimes happens with coaches, admittedly, by the way. It's not like – like sometimes coaches in the NFL, they have this mentality of like, I'm the coach, you're the player, do what I tell you. And then it's like, no, we're like in our 30s and 20s, late 20s. Like, we have kids. You don't treat us like you're a kid. You know, it's that mentality. One member of the team said that the culture didn't even compare to a college locker room. It's worse – Elaborate, please. 
multiple people within the organization believe players are staying quiet because they don't want to lose playing time. That makes sense. They say that there is very little trust between the players and coaches. How is it a college environment? I don't understand that. Taylor declined to comment. This is the coach. To comment when I asked about trust issues between his players and staff. When the Bengals lost to the Browns 35-30 in Week 2, sources say Carlos Dunlap was not keen on going back into the game after the coaching staff held him out for more than a quarter. Okay. Instead of pulling the two-time Pro Bowler aside and talking to him directly afterward, the coaching team, the coaching staff, excuse me, held a team meeting. They singled out Dunlap in hopes of setting the standard for the team, but multiple players were rubbed the wrong way when they watched the situation play out. It's the exact same stuff that Matt Patricia does. Um, yeah, I didn't know this was happening, by the way, in the Bengals. Exact same shit that the Patriots do. Matt Patricia did to fucking, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Darius Slay Jr. Like, you can't fucking do that. You can't come in as the head coach uh, before you fucking, like, like, Zach Taylor hasn't won five fucking games. Like, grow up, dude. You're not, you're not, like, you shitting on players when you're fucking losing games looks really, really fucking bad. It really, really does. Regardless of, like, the intention, like, maybe your intentions were pure, but uh, th- that age-old saying, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. In this particular case, you can't fucking shit on a guy when you're fucking 4-21. and 21. You're going to get shitted on by the players. The players are going to be like, fuck you if you fucking do that to the players and you're not winning. The reason why Tom Brady puts up with it in the Patriots and with Bruce Aarons is because they're winning football games. You're not fucking putting up with that shit if you're, um, if you're losing a shit ton of football games and uh, your team sucks and your coaching staff isn't winning you any football games and doing you any favors. Grow the fuck up. Stop doing that if you're not winning football games. The only time that you can do that is when you're winning football games, and you shouldn't do it just because you're winning football games. Like, there's an actual reason behind it, and there's actual players that co-sign with it. If your players aren't co-signing with it, then it's like, like you're fucked. And on top of that, if you're not fucking winning games, it's also a problem. Stop doing it. Stop pointing out the flaws in players. Like, uh, stop, stop, stop doing that shit. It, it irks me that people are like, I'm Bill Belichick. I have nine Super Bowl appearances. Like, what is it, six? No, not six. If you want to count the Giants, it's like seven or eight Super Bowls total. Like, you don't even have half of his resume. Like, shut up, sit down, and, like, work your ass off. Like, don't fucking put, like, like, no modern coach does that. Not even Mike McCarthy does that. Like, he sla- he smashes watermelons. It's like, fuck, dude. Like, I don't, I don't get this notion that coaches are like, I got to fucking call out my best players when I'm not Bill Belichick. It's like, you're not Bill Belichick, bro. Don't act like it. You're not. You don't have half of his resume. Continuing forward, I've, this is a source. <clears throat> I've never seen that in my life. It was awkward, one source said. It's no secret that Dunlap and the coaching staff have butted heads. During that time, some players steered clear of aligning themselves with Dunlap due to politics inside the locker room. Not everyone agreed with how his situation was handled, but they felt the need to choose sides. A few weeks after the awkward meeting that left some scratching their heads, Dunlap found out that he was being demoted. He was not told about his removal from the rush package by coaches and instead found out about the change when he walked into a coach's office and saw the switch on the whiteboard. Shortly after, he had a media engagement and his raw emotions poured out. I'm really trying to figure out the plan, Dunlap said. 
It's kind of frustrating, you know. I would like to just prepare for Baltimore, but I have to prepare to figure out the madness that they're doing. Referring to the coaching staff. The Bengals traded Dunlap following the friction between him and the coaching staff. He's in a better situation with the Seahawks, who are currently in first place in the NFC West. Like Dunlap, John, John Ross tried to force his way out of town before the trade deadline. He had grown frustrated with his role and the lack of communication from the coaching staff. In October, the former first-round pick to, took to Twitter to respond to some of the criticism he had received. It's not a secret that I have requested a trade. Ross said, trade me if this is how y'all feel. I'm healthy and eager to play. I know I can be productive. It's hard to love something when, you, when you're not actually participating in it. Believe me, it's not football that I don't like. Yeah, I don't understand the whole John Ross thing either. He's the guy that ran like the 4-2-3, by the way, in, um, in when, when he was in the combine. I, like, I don't understand their lack of use of him, not just as like a down-the-field threat or down-the-seam type of guy in the slot potentially, but also like in jet sweeps and fly motions. Like He could have helped out your run game as well. I don't, I don't get that at all. There's a complete disconnect and lack of trust between multiple players and coaches in the building, according to some affiliated with the team. Sources say defensive coordinator Lou, I don't know how to say his last name, is unapproachable. They add that he regularly uses abusive language and commonly calls players dumb motherfuckers. I can curse. They can't. Dumb motherfuckers and dumb bitches. Yeah, that's that's going to do it. That's going to piss off each other. Like, listen, like, I don't get this notion that, like, coaches talk shit about players like, talk to players in, like, a – in like, like, I don't get it at the high school level. I don't get it at the college level. Like, you, there's no way you would walk up to a grown man and be like, you dumb motherfucker, you dumb bitch. Like, there's no way you would do that without being, like – without getting some type of, like, agitation and some confrontation. Like, what the fuck did you say to me? You called me a dumb bitch? Hey, man, fuck you. What the fuck are you going to do? I'm about to slap you in your – I'm about to beat the shit out of you. Don't stop shit about me, bro. I'm about to pull up with my boys. What are you talking about? No, maybe not in that context, but still, it's like you would get some pushback, but the players, they just have to fucking take it, you know? It's like, no, you know, like they're grown men and getting paid millions of dollars. They're not going to take that shit. They say the defensive coordinator has created an environment where communication and accountability are scarce. He often yell, he often yells at one player for mistakes and chooses to ignore the mistakes of other players in his favor. Okay, he needs to probably be fired. Taylor declined. It, it seems like a lot of the issues seem to be on defense. Carlos Dunlap, the defensive coordinator, calling players dumb bitches and motherfuckers. Probably fire him and hire Wade Phillips. That's what I would do if I was the Bengals. Figure out who Zach Taylor is as a uh, head coach as well, because I think he's good in some instances as an offensive mind, but the whole lack of John Ross to me is astounding that they're not using him as an offensive weapon. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Offensive line coach Dim Turner also utilizes abusive language, according to multiple members of the organization. In the spring, he called formal, former Ohio State Buckeye Isaiah Prince a thug during a Zoom meeting. Yep, that'll do it. When former NFL offensive lineman Lay Charles Bentley found out about the incident. He raised hell and demanded Turner apologize to Prince. Turner obliged, of course, because it's like, why are you calling a dude a thug who's on your fucking football team? I don't get this, like, shit talking of, like, players and demeaning players and then being like, hey, guys, uh, go out there, sacrifice your body, your mind, 
your sanity because uh, more likely than not, some of you are going to develop CTE and develop suicidal thoughts and tendencies. You know, go out there, sacrifice your body, your mind, potentially your soul for me, and um, and you know, and I'll and um, you know, I'm just gonna call you thugs and dumb bitches and dumb motherfuckers too. Just do that for me. It's like players are kind of gonna give you pushback if you try that shit. As for the off, uh, did I already? No, I didn't repeat this. As for the offensive lines meeting room, there are low standards and a lack of accountability. There is little competition for starting spots on the offensive line because Turner has his guys. Michael Jordan is a prime example of that. Burrow's playmaking ability was offensive line friendly, and he was still hit 72 times through nine games. Completely agree with that, which was tied with Daniel Jones for the most by a rookie quarterback in his first nine games over the past 20 NFL seasons. Several people are growing frustrated, but they lay low and keep working in hopes of being in a better situation in the future. Where does the team go from here? Veteran leaders are the glue that holds the pieces together. It is up to Taylor and his staff to flip the script, demand accountability, and actively fix the culture in Cincinnati. The front office needs to work with the coaching staff and build a team that deserves Burrow as their quarterback in 2021. That's a great article by her. Mm-mm-mm. A lot of dysfunction in Cincinnati. I didn't know that. I didn't know, like, it was that dysfunctional. I know the players, like, love Joe Burrow, obviously. But I didn't realize, like, it was that fucking bad that, like, literally, like, dudes, like, it's literally, like, the Detroit Lions locker room. Like, anytime, and, and for context sake, like, you may, like, if you played in high school, um, and your coach called you a dumb motherfucker, like, he's in the wrong. Like, there's kind of, like, I, I, I say fucking idiots. I, like, I would, I, there's some shit that I would never say, and I've kind of, like, tempered my language as well, because I'm like, I, like, it would be super, like, like, I have no problem saying some of the stuff on, um, that I said on the podcast to, like, people in real life. I have no problem, by the way. I have no problem being confrontational, even though I'm not natively confrontational I definitely am like like it's like it, it's kind of talking shit on the internet but at the same token it's like I like I I don't say anything like stupidly irrational but it's like this dumb shit that coaches say like all the fucking time where they're like they're getting on their players they're cursing at their players there's a better way of doing it bro like you can curse like I curse but I don't call like people bitches and like dumb motherfuckers too I call people fucking idiots but um Holy shit, bro. To like player, but it's, it's different. It's like, dude, those are your players. Those are your guys. Those are your guys that are are like feeding your fucking family. You know, those are the guys that put you up in a mansion that give you hundreds of thousands of dollars, potentially millions annually, depending on where you are on, on, you know, um, when it comes to a coach, those guys, like they're going to, they entered this sport and they're going to exit completely different. Show some fucking respect to your fucking players who sacrifice their bodies for you to be rich. Shut the fuck up. Get better schemes. Become better coaches. Stop doing that bullshit that the Patriots do and fucking be better. I'm sick and tired of hearing no-name coaches try to implement the Patriots system. Coaches that have fucking absolutely 
no business implementing the Patriots or the Alabama system or whatever. It's like, yeah, sure, you, you got you got the surface-level shit where they call out Tom Brady. Do you want to know what they also fucking do? Work their asses off year-round. They literally don't take breaks. They, like, like after the Super Bowl, do you want to know what they are? They don't take a break. Bill Belichick may go to Nantucket, but he's bringing along that year's film and the film of most of the teams in the NFL with him. In the spring, they're in the facility. In the summer, they're in the facility. They don't take vacations. Three, six, five. Shut the fuck. I'm sick and tired of coaches doing this bullshit where it's like, you aren't working hard enough, my guy. Where they call out their players and they're like, you dumb motherfucker, you bitch. Shut the fuck up. You do what I tell you. You're an idiot. Fuck. Shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're doing. You're not working hard enough. Be quiet irks me to death to hear these coaches do that shit to players granted there's times where I'm, I'm not on the players at all and I'm like hey players play fucking better do your job learn the scheme play the scheme watch tape do the things that a professional should do there's times where I'm like the players piss me off but it's like this whole notion that we're gonna dunk on the, the players is asinine to me it's like grow the fuck up become better coaches actually modernize and adapt your approach to the game, not just with actually interacting with players, but also fucking coaching. Because some of you motherfuckers are literally in the, like, in the stone age, you know, when it comes to coaching or schemes, excuse me. This is ridiculous. It's a fucking joke. Some people are going to tell me, well, I don't know that life. And it's like, well, I do know. Well, well, maybe I don't know how to be a coach and the stress that comes with it. But holy fuck, man. Those are the guys, like, 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 like fuck me. Don't fuck it. Well, maybe not fuck me, but like, like, it's like, like, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I like, like those are the, like, like you can be like, you know what, dude, fuck you. Fuck, fuck me, you know, but don't fuck your players over. Don't talk shit to your fucking players. You can talk shit to me. Don't talk shit to your fucking players that are literally going out there and risking like like their mind for you. Let me take this away. Mm. Kind of transitioning. I got a mock draft here. I got a mock draft. I'm going to be drafting for a couple of teams. I'm going to be drafting um, for the Bengals, the Cowboys, the Washington football team, the Patriots, the Lions, the Ravens, and the Eagles. I'm going to be drafting for all those teams. I'm going to be uh, picking out some players here for the teams right now. Apparently, the Jags, they're not thinking of drafting a quarterback. They're going to get Panini Sewell, offensive tackle out of Oregon. Jets got Trevor Lawrence in this simulation. The Bengals are up next at number three. Now, for some unknown reason, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell have both, like, gone from top ten players to, like, I mean, technically Jalen Waddell is, but, like, Devontae Smith is number 14. 
Jamar Chase is like fifth. He's stayed fifth because he's opted out. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I I I don't get it. Now, Bengals are drafting number three overall. A great reunion with the number one pick in the overall uh, overall in the draft, paired with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. You maybe try and find an offensive lineman in free agency or something like that. I think would be a great fit. For the Bengals, maybe for example, you um you trade for Dallas's the Dallas Cowboys um their left guard Connor Williams. Maybe you do that. Maybe you sign him. Maybe you play him for a year. Maybe you do something like that because Connor McGovern is going to come in and he's going to be your guard. Let's see. Or you sign um Joe Looney as well. Let's figure it out. Let's see. But yeah, um if the Bengals have a if the Bengals have the third overall pick, which more likely than not they will, they aren't going to win any more football games anymore. Um. Just draft Jamar Chase, bro. This is not hard. Just draft him. Get him, please. Get him for um for um for Joe Burrow, please. He needs help. He needs a lot of help. Bengals, they get Jamar Chase. Next up, number four, Cowboys. They got they they got one. They got a win against the Vikings. They go from like the third overall draft pick to the fourth overall draft pick. A lot of people are talking about trading back in the draft. I'm I'm kind of of that mindset as well. Here's the thing. How far are you trading back in the draft? I don't like trading out of the top ten here. But if you can trade, for example, with the Dolphins, if you can trade, for example, with the Falcons, with the Panthers, even with the Patriots at pick number 11, I think you're going to find, like, another really, really, like, some, like, I don't think Michael Parsons is going to fall all the way to, like, number 11, for example. But if you're hanging out at 4, 5, and, like, there's a team at 8, 9, 10, 11 that want to trade down, like, yeah, I think you should. I think you should. But I also think that you should also use the high-value draft pick that you get and use it, like, and actually get, like, a player, like a sure thing, you know? I think you need, I think in the reality of the situation, you you probably, and I hate, I cannot believe I'm saying this. I think you need a corner. That, that position is god-awful on the Cowboys. You need a corner. And I kind of think about it like this. I kind of think about like how if the Cowboys, for example, if they have if they have two corners that are great or even like above average, maybe not great or elite, but like above average. If you have two corners that are that are at that level, even if you reach for one of them in a league where it's more of a passing league. It, it's more wide receiver friendly. Like the wide receiver is the most important position in all of football or not. Maybe not the most important. In fact, it's not, but it's one of the most important positions in all of football nowadays because of uh, the quarterback position. Like, like if you have a wide receiver, 
on your team, of course, like not even a wide receiver, but like like some of the best teams in the NFL have multiple wide receivers. But like I think like you need you now need corners. You now need not lockdown corners on the outside. And I think you pair Trevon Diggs with Patrick Sertain. I got to see more of him. I want to see him in the playoffs. I want to see him against some of the best quarterbacks in the um, in, in college, and I also want to see him um, this weekend against Auburn. Like I think, like I think it's all. I think it's a surefire thing. I think Patrick Sertain going to the Dallas Cowboys at number four should be a surefire thing. Potentially Micah Parsons as well. Keep in mind, um, the Draft Network has Patrick Sertain at number seven overall. So, and the Cowboys are drafting four. So, uh, at the fourth slot. So, you're reaching a little bit, but not really by a lot. I'd take him. Or I would trade down to, like, top 11. And then I would take Micah or Patrick Sertain or Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. That's what I would do. But I like Alabama players a lot. I like Alabama players a lot. Next up is Washington at number five. Um, this is a no-brainer. You take Justin Fields. You take Justin Fields. You close your eyes and you say, hey, we um, we have Alex Smith. Alex Smith is going to be our starter, starting quarterback. He's probably going to move off of Dwayne Haskins here next year or something like that. Um, Justin Fields is going to be our starter. He's gonna not our starter, our backup. Um, Alex Smith is going to lead the team, and we may make the switch midseason, and we're going to try and make a push for the playoffs because we're playing one of the worst divisions in all sports. And um, he was the second overall prospect. He probably uh, in in the the mock drafting, he probably is the second overall player. Justin Fields, that's your guy. If you're Washington, select. Wow. Wow. Number six to the Chargers, Gregory Rose, edge rusher out of Miami. I guess they're going to move off of Melvin Ingram. I think he got a franchise tag. The Giants got a, an edge rusher themselves in Quiddy Pay, Pay, excuse me, edge rusher out of Michigan. The Dolphins, they got Micah Parsons. Crying eyes, my crying tears. Um, he fits actually with their scheme, a uh, a three four or whatever scheme they run. It's it's probably a three four, if they're the Patriots or some variation or hybrid of it. You know, they they rely heavily on linebackers that can play cover. Like like that is Brian Flores' wet dream to have Micah Parsons, and they got him. They absolutely got him. Zach Wilson, quarterback out of BYU, goes to Atlanta at number nine. Caleb Farley, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech, goes to Carolina. The Patriots. They need a wide receiver. Here's what I'm going to do if I'm the Patriots. I'm going to take somebody that's durable, that's also going to like legitimately be a number one. I'm, I'm taking Devontae Smith. I know that they have Jalen Waddle ahead of Devontae Smith. I'm taking Devontae Smith. I'm taking Devontae Smith at number 11 for the Patriots. Like It's just, it's just that simple. I'm not trading down, not trading up, staying there. If people don't want literally the one of the best wide receivers, one of the best overall prospects in the NFL draft next year, then I'll take him. Devontae Smith goes to the Patriots, number 11. 
You don't even have to close your eyes and take them and, and be, like, regretful about it. You just keep your eyes open and you watch him score a bunch of touchdowns. He's awesome. Same thing goes with the Lions at number 11. Jalen Waddle's still here. Uh, guess what you need? You have Kenny Galladay and Danny Amendola, and that's essentially it. You pair up whoever you got. You, you pair up Matt Stafford with Jalen Waddle, and boom. Jalen Waddle and obviously um, TJ Hawkinson, who's kind of starting to come alive, and Kenny Galladay and DeAndre Swift. And, oh, my gosh, the, the, the Detroit Lions offense is starting to kind of cook with a little bit of grease. Jalen Waddle to Alabama at number 12. How do those two guys fall is my question. Like, I – I don't like like I don't get why they wouldn't get a wide receiver, my guy. Like that's one thing that I just don't I just don't understand. If and if you want my honest opinion about it. Like if I was the Giants for example, I would have gotten like they got Quiddy Payne, pay, Quiddy Pay. I would have gotten DeVonte Smith. If I was the same thing goes for the Dolphins, I would have gotten Mike, not, I wouldn't, uh, like, Micah Parsons is there, but I would have gotten a wide receiver, and the same thing goes for Carolina, I would have gotten another wide receiver for Teddy Bridgewater, like, Kyle Pitts, excuse me, fell to the Ravens right now, like, the Dolphins, they got Travis Etienne, I'm not gonna lie to you, I would have gotten Kyle Pitts, and now I'm drafting for the Ravens, right, I've been saying it for for weeks. I think uh, like uh, I, uh, like Lamar needs help. He needs help. And you know what? I think the help comes in the form of either a wide receiver, a running back, or a tight end. Well, maybe not a running back. He doesn't need a running back. But like I think offensively, he needs help. And I think you take essentially whatever you can get. I think you take Rashad Bateman at this position. You can kind of reach for other guys as well. Um, Terrence Marshall Jr., he's there. Chris Olave, I really, really like Chris Olave. Olave, excuse me, Rondell Moore. Like, some of these guys are, like, borderline first-rounders, two first-rounders. I would take Chris Olave here. I think he's a first-round talent, by the way. At number 47. They're telling me Rashad Bateman is better and Terrence Marshall Jr. is better. I'm taking Chris Olave. And I'm actually going to have, like, Hollywood and Chris Olave run um, run in-breaking routes and not just have them go up the football field. Um, now, interesting development, right? Washington is drafting at number 19. Kyle Pitts is here. Zach Ertz is... He, he, need, he, he wants a big contract extension. The Eagles don't want to give it to him. Business is business. I'm taking Kyle Pitts. Taking Kyle Pitts. For Washington. Not Washington. The Eagles, of course. It's like that way you don't have to pay Zach Ertz. And also, um, you get essentially the best tight end in the draft. He's not a blocking tight end. He's a receiving one. But that's the, kind of the whole point. He's receiving. Um, Browns, you need some pieces on defense. Did they take Daniel Moses? Yeah, that's what I thought. He fell to the second round, Daniel Moses. And check that out. You can take Daniel Moses in the second round, too, if you're the Cowboys. 
At first, he was uh, this year. He was projected to be a first round draft pick. He is not a first round draft pick. Browns are up at twenty three. Rashad Bateman is still there. I'm taking him for the Browns. Um, wait, wait, wait. Who else is here? Because I may just take a quarterback here. Kyle Trask is still here. Mac Jones is still here. I'm taking Mac Jones. I think Baker Mayfield is a little bit overrated. I don't think they will ever take Baker. I think they're living and dying with Baker. But I'm taking Mac Jones. I'm, make, I'm taking Mac Jones. I kind of just did that simulation right there to kind of get your mind going about the draft. Not necessarily because it's it's something that I think is going to happen. Remember, the season is still going, so none of this is finite. None of this is, you know, 100%. But, yeah, like, that could probably happen. That draft is um, maybe not probably happen, but that's like uh, that's like what I got right now. When it comes to the draft, I kind of just want you to keep those those names in your mind. First through ten um, spots are going to be a lot more interesting this year, especially with um, some of the implications. Like if Dallas gets a if Dallas gets a home run in that first round, if Patrick Sertain like transitions from college to the NFL and he plays at like a very high level, like um, he can uh, like like I think Dallas uh, I, like like I don't think their entire issues at secondary will be fixed, but a lot of the issues will be addressed. And I think right now, like, where you're kind of going to live and die is kind of in that secondary. And right now, they don't really have a lot of answers in the secondary. Okay. What I got else for you today? We've already been going for, like, almost two and a half hours. I don't want to keep you for too much longer here. Oh, yeah. Let me kind of just move my journal. I'm looking at it in a weird spot. So I have some of, like, the games that were, uh, that finished off this weekend. I have some notes about them in my journal here. Kind of going to go quickly. By the way, I only won six games, only predicted six games accurately, lost eight. My win percentage for last uh, for last weekend was 42.8%. My record overall is um, 107 wins, total, uh, correctly predicted games, by the way. 255 losses, 66.04% total win percentage i'm above average but i by the way like i've seen other broadcasters like have their predictions i'm like literally um predicting games at the same percentage that uh certain people within the business are predicting by the way anyways um kind of had some thoughts not a lot a little bit some thoughts on the games that that were played this weekend. 
I also kind of wrote some notes on other players as well. What did I start this? Okay, I kind of just have some evaluations for... Oh, man, I had so many notes from this weekend when it came to, like, players and things of that nature. I'll kind of talk about this on Friday. But I kind of want to wrap up this weekend in the NFL, and then we'll talk about this on Friday. <clears throat> Do I want to talk about this right now? It's kind of like it's hard to tie in what's going to happen. What happened this weekend into, like, what happened on Friday, you know? Or not um, on Friday. Like, it's hard to tie in, like, the NFL exclusively and then, like, uh, like today and then on, like, Friday talk only about college and, like, game day predictions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to end the podcast right here. And I'm going to come back on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, to let you know whether or not I got a PS5 or not. Oh, yeah, by the way, let me give you some game day predictions for Thursday, though. Lions versus the Texans. I got the Texans winning it. Cowboys versus Washington. Cowboys. Cowboys. I'm kind of hoping that it's the Cowboys that win this game. I cannot have a bad Thanksgiving. Please win. Please win, Cowboys. Um, Ravens versus Steelers. I got the Steelers. Did you know that, like, J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, the two starting running backs for the Ravens, have COVID? And the game's being played in Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving, by the way. I think I should have uh, mentioned that. But, yeah, uh, it's probably going to be a stomping down in uh, Pittsburgh. Um, Dallas may be a closer game. We'll kind of see about that. Uh, and the Texans versus the Lions, I, I got my guy, D-Watt. He's played fantastic. He's not inconsistent. Ladies and, ge ladies and gentlemen, this has been 24's podcast, the best video gaming and sports podcast on the entire internet. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, 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 Spotify. I'll be back on Friday. Have a very, very lovely and happy Thanksgiving until my next podcast. I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. And I'll see you next time. We make plans and God laughs. Feel like the older I get, the quicker time passes. Some people live in the past, others live in a flash. Giving your picture perfect life, it could be gone in a flash. Texting on your way to work, and now your brain's on the dash. We all powerless, especially people think power lasts. I ain't cowardice, but sometimes wish I live behind a mask. Cause facing this world is such a rigorous task.